Have you ever wanted to see for yourself what the Bible has to say? Well, you've come to the right place. Join me, Pastor Tom Marsis, and Vicar Aiden Moon as we explore the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and provide you some landmarks and guideposts along the way. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures. Welcome to Episode 4 of our Trek Through the Scriptures. Uh, this week it's the Exodus from Egypt, and we're going to be looking specifically at Genesis chapters 48 uh, through Exodus chapter 18. Uh, at the end of Genesis, we saw uh, the end of Jacob, Jacob's family uh, in Egypt, and uh, we left it there with the death of Joseph at the end, as we've been following Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, and, their, and Jacob's children. And now we're moving into uh, a, like a whole new chapter, so to speak. I mean, obviously another book, but a whole new chapter of the life of the children of Israel. Yeah, you have this these themes that we followed through the book of Genesis from creation and God's promises and kind of narrowing in on this specific family. And uh, the book ends with, with, yes, Joseph's death, but it also has this kind of idea that, that God continues to use these bad things, even bad things that his own people have done, um, to continue keeping his promises. Um, that's one of the last things that Joseph says in the story, is what, what man used for evil, God uses for good. And that theme continues on into Exodus, even though now there's this, some time passes, um, it's a transition into, uh, a, like you said, a new chapter of the story of God's people, but that theme will continue. And so it's this transition now, in, as we get into um, continuing the, the family of God being down in Egypt and what happens next. What's very interesting is Joseph as the second in all of Egypt, uh, which is very interesting for a non-Egyptian to have that high a place in the government. But you can see how that changes over time. And so uh, Joseph's family grows, Jacob's family grows as they're in the land of Goshen. Uh, they are blessed by God. But the more they are blessed, the more the Egyptians are, are kind of leery of what's going on there. And we see from this high place of respect uh, to actually slavery. And that's where we pick up the story here in Exodus, that they need once again to be rescued. As they were rescued from famine, now they need to be rescued from slavery. And that theme of rescue, salvation, as we've talked about, continues now as we get into the book of Exodus. It's interesting to think from the perspective of the people of Israel. They've received these promises from God to Abraham, and those have been carried on down generations. And now all of a sudden, they it seems like they had all these promises kept, right? They they have uh, they've been fruitful. They've grown as a nation. Abraham's having you know the many descendants he was promised, and yet all of a sudden they're in slavery. They're oppressed in a foreign land, and um, Pharaoh as this. I mean, he's. He's a kind of picture of every corrupt and evil dictator that's lived. He's he's a uh, he's proud, and his pride leads to fear of of this people that could threaten his power. And then he goes after them, and God's people are sitting there like, "Well, I guess God's forgotten his promises. We're just sitting here in slavery." But there's something going on behind the scenes that they don't yet see, and and so that's when you have these sort of these these peak characters throughout the story. Um, Pharaoh is one of them who's very significant. He's kind of the main foil um, of, of this first part of Exodus. But then you also have Moses, who's introduced right near the beginning of the, of the narrative. And again, we see how God sends 
a savior, someone who is going to save his people, and how he puts into motion. One of the things that consistently we will talk about, uh, God working in and through history. You know, God shows he has a plan. What's very interesting is that he uses Pharaoh as a part of his plan in the sense that Moses, who should have been killed as the young boys of Israel were being put to death and was saved uh, by Pharaoh's daughter, actually is raised in Pharaoh's house for 40 years, uh, preparing him for being able to be a leader, to be able to lead God's people. So God uses Pharaoh's house to get his leader ready, which is very interesting, will ultimately lead the people away from Pharaoh. And uh, that number 40 uh, that I mentioned this there, those 40 years in the house of Pharaoh is one of those continuing themes we're going to see. We're going to see numbers being very significant and being repeated again and again. Perhaps maybe you remember from earlier readings that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights uh, with Noah and the ark. And now we see 40 days in the house of Pharaoh. Once uh, Moses uh, gets into trouble, kills some Egyptian and gets kicked out of Egypt, he's going to live in the wilderness for 40 years before he comes back to set, the, uh, set God's plan into motion to free his people. And then ultimately after that, 40 years leading the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. So it's interesting that that number 40 happens again and again and again. And <clears throat> we see here how, uh, again, God used Pharaoh to help Moses get ready to ultimately take down the house of Pharaoh mm -hmm. and get them out. And, and as you talk about that, that number 40, when you're looking at numbers, 40 is one example of this. Pay attention to uh, themes with how those numbers are used. Um, the, the biblical authors and, and God's inspiration work to make kind of connect some dots for us by using those numbers. Connect themes with those numbers. Um, you'll see something similar with the number seven, the idea of the Sabbath, um, the fulfillment and completeness of the creation um, in the second part of Exodus. So next week, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But those, that's another example of, of how those numbers can help us to trace themes. Um, they're not like magically symbolic in some sort of weird way, but they do help us and they're used to help us to see how God is at work. In specific ways and that's why we we carry some of those numbers into our own practice in liturgical churches there's a the, that number 40 is is worked into the season of lent um and and other places within the church calendar as well you have those numbers reappear uh as significant markers for us to remind us of those stories stretching all the way back to the very beginning of the old testament well and, and it clearly uh, when we get into the new testament we're going to see the number 40 several times and so it shows the connectivity between the Old and the New Testament. We're not merely New Testament people. We are Old and New Testament people, or we're not just Old Testament people. You know, it, it, there's the connection between the two and, mm -hmm. and showing, again, uh, God's plan working in and through that. Well, one of the things we were talking about was that uh, Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness uh, in the middle of his life uh, as he uh, discovers... Uh, uh, who he is and, and prepare, God is preparing him for ultimately leading his people. He gets married, he has a family, and God comes to him in the burning bush. And that's one of the uh, amazing stories as uh, Moses is confronted directly by the voice of God through the burning bush and telling him of his purpose. But like most of us, uh, sometimes when God is giving us a direct uh, as to where we are to go and what our life is supposed to be. 
He bucks at it. You know, he pushes back and gives all kinds of excuses. Why aren't we good at giving excuses? And yet what's interesting is every excuse that uh, Moses gives, God has an answer for. Mm-hmm. And Moses, for being this figure of, you know, multiple faiths and this important character that, that is uh, pointed to by Jesus, who is this picture of faith, who's a leader and deliverer, a great prophet. He is full of uncertainty. And not just at the beginning, but throughout the book of Exodus, you see these moments of, of Moses really revealing that he often feels like he is not up to the task. And uh, that is a picture of how God continues to work. He chooses people, and it doesn't always seem to be, and often is not, um, because of some sort of qualifications that they can point to. Um, but he chooses them to do his work anyway. And he equips them to get the job done, to do what they need to do. And that's what you're like you're saying. God has an answer to his uncertainties. He's able to say, nope, this is what you're going to do, and this is how you're going to do it. And ultimately, then it reveals God's power. Um, he doesn't need the great, powerful um, might of some kind of king or nation. He uses this guy who's been in exile as a shepherd in the wilderness to free his people. Well, and Moses said, I can't speak. You know, I can't. Well, God says, okay, fine. Uh, your brother Aaron, he'll do the speaking for you. Uh-huh. Uh, so you think you can't talk? Fine. Uh, Aaron <laughs> will do this public speaking for you. And really, that's one of the connections that uh, many of us have and maybe often don't even realize it. You know, Aaron's blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. That's Aaron's blessing. We say that as the benediction very often at the end of the service. That connects us all the way back to Aaron. Uh, who is a spokesperson for Moses and uh, being able to do that. And so something you hear perhaps maybe Sunday after Sunday, you maybe didn't even realize connects you all the way back to Aaron and Moses and God's promise related to them. Absolutely. Another aspect of that way that God kind of gets Moses to uh, go do the job is he emphasizes his own identity. So we have um, God has been, obviously, throughout the story, this character in the story. He's, he's been interacting with, with human beings. This is kind of one of the, the crazy things about how God interacts with the world as he comes and interacts with people personally. But here he gives Moses a name that he is to be called by, um, and that he says, I am who I am, or I am that I am, uh, depending on how it's translated. And this becomes this very, very important title for God, for the people of Israel. It identifies God for them, who their God is, as opposed to all the various um, pagan gods of the world that they're living in. Which uh, sends a a very interesting point as well. When Moses is sent back and Pharaoh says, nope, not going to let, you know, your people go, uh, then the ten plagues come upon the Egyptians. And for us, it's kind of strange, you know, the Nile turns into blood and the frogs and the flies and mm-hmm. it boils. I mean, it just seems like, you know, where did all these lists come from? And uh, again, not haphazard. It's very interesting as you look through all the lists of the 10 plagues, how God is specifically in very many ways attacking the gods of the Egyptians. The lifeblood, so to speak, of the Egyptians was the Nile River. I mean, it's, it's in the middle of the desert. And so to attack it, you're attacking the, the God of the guardian of the Nile, so to speak. Uh, and then as uh, the cattle on the, pl- the, the plague on the cattle, 
uh, how that's the uh, symbol of fertility for them and, and so forth. And the deity of Pharaoh, the very last one, uh, Pharaoh's son dying, attacks uh, the very deity of Pharaoh himself who sees himself over all the gods of the Egyptians and yet God attacks through the, the angel of death. And, and so, uh, again, it's not by chance that these are the ten plagues, but it's God has a plan, God sends it into motion, and goes after it. It's really important, and reading Genesis this way has been important as well, but it's important to read these books and recognize this is in a context where, where people are very aware and um, looking around for spiritual beings at work in the world um, there and worshiping them in various ways. Uh, we often don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about um, whether it's, you know, false gods that don't really exist or some sort of demonic powers or whatever else. We, in our kind of more secularized culture, we don't think that way. Um, but it was sort of assumed that there is spiritual powers behind all the normal things, whether it's the Nile or cows or whatever else, and uh, they would be worshipped. And in, in the plagues, God is revealing, for one thing, I am that I am. I am the, the one who is ultimately beyond all other things. But also revealing, I'm the creator. I'm the one who has control over all this stuff. Um, the gods, you know, whether or not they exist or not, that's kind of irrelevant. The gods of the Egyptians do not control the created world. Um, there is one God who stands above the created world and has uh, has rule over it. And like you said earlier, he even uses Pharaoh um, to accomplish his goals. Like, Pharaoh, who sees himself as as a god incarnate, is still really just a pawn in the in the big picture in God's ultimate plans. Well, and speaking of Pharaoh here, this is one of the questions I bet that many of you are asking as you or will be asking as you read through it, because as uh, Moses is dealing with Pharaoh and and telling him God wants his people to be let go, it keep we keep hearing again and again that Pharaoh's heart is hardened and. Uh, so the question is, what does that mean? So it, I think it's important to read the story in order as we're looking at the book of Exodus and thinking about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. Because early on in the story, it's very clear that Pharaoh is hardening his own heart. He's going, he's he's refusing to listen. He's stubborn. Um, he His pride is getting the best of him. But he reaches a certain point where it's a point of no return, so to speak. And it actually says that God hardens his heart which I do think is hard for us to deal with. We feel like that's unjust somehow, but you recognize, I mean, God is from the beginning pushing Pharaoh and Pharaoh has the opportunity for repentance and doesn't take any of them early on. And then God continues to carry it all the way out to ultimately deliver judgment on the Egyptians for all of the, the evil that they've done, especially Pharaoh's initiated evil, like killing of the, the children of Israel and putting them in slavery. And, it's sort of a, um, again, like a point of no return for Pharaoh where his heart is hardened in a way that, uh, and a hardened heart, I mean, it refers to unrepentance, really. It's that idea of I am faced with the power and law of God, and I refuse to acknowledge that it has any authority over me. I'm going to keep doing my own thing. And in Pharaoh's case, as the ruler of a powerful nation, him keeping to, on doing his own thing was uh, was able to work great evil and destruction. Well, and just a couple other things for you to look for as you're reading through um, 
as a, obviously we've been focusing on Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh. I mean, they're going to be central to a lot of what we're, you're going to be reading this week. Uh, but also Miriam, Miriam being, of course, Moses' sister. She's the one who guarded him when he was in the basket in the river. Uh, we see her again in Exodus chapter 15 as she sings this song of praise, uh, the idea of salvation. So make special note of that as you're reading through mm-hmm. uh, this coming week. Uh, Exodus 15 is really something to look for. And one of the other things is we see the Israelites very much kind of like us. Uh, God blesses them, and yet it doesn't take very much for them to start complaining again. And let's face it, that's a lot like we are. God blessed us over and over again, and one thing seemingly goes wrong, and immediately we're starting complaining to God, oh, why me, why not me, Why? what's going on? And we're going to see the Israelites uh, getting in this cycle of being blessed, complaining, getting real complaining, getting blessed. I mean, it's, it's just this ongoing thing. And we're going to see this over and over and over again over the next uh, many books here as we go through that. But we'll start to see that cycle starting up again uh, in this uh, section as we go through it. The question begins to form in our minds. Um, maybe Pharaoh's not the only one with a hard heart. Um, the people of Israel are, are doing a pretty good job of hardening their hearts just like Pharaoh did. And that leads to the question and the question that we'll, we'll answer as we go into next week, which is, is God going to stick with this hard-hearted people, um, this people that he has, he has rescued from, from slavery? Is God going to stick with them? Will he um, put up with their hard-heartedness, their complaining um, in, as they journey in the wilderness? And that's what we'll, we'll talk about next week as we come back uh, for, ne- for our next episode, for episode five, and look at the covenant and the law that God brings to his people at Mount Sinai. So tune in next time as we come together to, again, continue our trek through the scriptures. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us on our trek through the scriptures this week. This podcast is a ministry of Zion Lutheran Church in Bismarck, North Dakota. To contact us, learn more, or for more resources on our journey this year, please visit zionbismarck.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. This podcast was made possible by a grant from Lutheran Church Extension Fund. We thank them for their support. Please join me in prayer as we begin our new week. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time as we continue our exploration of God's story in the scriptures. God bless your reading this week.